Last week, U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions cited Romans 13 in order to justify the cruel separation of migrant children from their parents. He said that St. Paul advised, I quote, to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained them for the purpose of order, unquote. That's Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Later, White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders defended Sessions' comments, saying that, I quote, it is very biblical to enforce the law, unquote. She's probably right. Of course, every scripture scholar, evangelical preacher, Catholic priest, and bishop in the country has disagreed. And I think it's the most ridiculous thing. Nowhere in the Bible will you find anything that says that it's okay to separate children from their parents, even if the parents are criminals. And as to obeying the laws of a country, entering a country illegally might be against the law, but the penalty should not be to be prosecuted criminally in that country. The penalty should be to be sent back. Wouldn't that be cheaper? A country has all the right to defend their borders, also to limit who comes in and who gets to stay. They can even build a wall to keep people out. But prosecuting those who try to enter is just plain stupid, and separating them from their kids is just plain cruel and unbiblical. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello, and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. I'm Emily Callen. I am Billy Chen. And today we're back, guys. Yes. Yeah. So full show, full team. <laughs> um, uh, Emily, we have some news stories for today. Yes, um, three. So uh, I'm going to talk about the what they call the Instrumentum Laboris for the Synod of Bishops right. in 2018, yes. basically the working document that the bishops will use. I'll say more about that later. Um, also, the Australian nun. So we talked about her yeah. maybe a couple months ago. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about her again just some brief a brief update on the australian the australian nun, nun. and uh, also pope francis has some words about the usccb's um criticism against the immigration policy the zero tolerance immigration policy yes okay good so we'll get to yeah i'm sure that's what everybody's talking about and we'll get all those details in a little bit and right afterwards jillian Cantor, who's waiting in the wings will be here to tell us what she learned from her kids um, this last month. And then, to end our first half hour, Billy, you have a question for dummies. Yeah, the, the question inspired by the World Cup. A question inspired <laughs> by the World Cup. Um, uh, good. Okay, maybe we should just do a show on the World Cup. Yeah, we should. Okay. I agree. So here's my question for you guys. Have you guys read Uncle Tom's Cabin? No. Do you, no. know, do you know about Uncle Tom's Cabin? Please no tell me idea. that you know. I'm sorry. I actually have no idea what that is. Okay. Uncle Tom's Cabin is a classic story by Harriet Beecher Stowe about... Is it a children's book? About slavery. <laughs> okay. I'm sure you've heard... Okay. Wow. All right. Guys, uh, our listeners, write to Emily, Emily Callan, and at B. Joe Chan, and you guys have to read... Tom- it's a classic. Uncle okay. Tom's Cabin about uh, a slave. And slavery. Um, in fact, they say that that is the novel that sparked the the U.S. Civil War. In fact, because it brought attention to people in a popular way, popular culture um, about slavery and mm. what was really happening. Um, I'm sure there's a movie. You could just go watch the movie. Um, do you know much about slavery or the U.S. Civil War? Yes, some definitely. I, I know some, but you know that the word slavery for for my generation is very like far. Well, it is. Yeah, yes. You know, I I never see a slave in my no. life. And well, yeah. Homemade, okay. 
I, I, I don't know. No, I know. Not, not in, the, in the strict sense of slavery. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, okay. So the American, the African slaves. Mm-hmm. Okay, you, you, Emily, you must have heard about the Underground Railroad. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. Okay, and you guys are looking at me like, why are we talking yeah. about yeah, that's, this? Yeah, I think that's what we're waiting why for. Why are we Where's, talking what, about this? Okay, well, have you, you heard about, have you heard about this guy, a guy named Josiah Henson? No, I don't expect you. You have so. Well, I don't you even, know what? Don't... Actually, the name rings a bell. Yeah, really? Yeah. But why? What is? Because he went he to school with you. No, he didn't. <laughs> okay, so remember a few uh, months ago or last year, we did a, an interview about bearded gospel men. Yes. Okay, remember that. Okay, yeah, that yeah, yeah. you know. Okay, so the author of that book. Jared Brock uh-huh. is also a filmmaker. He's and he's been in the show. He was in the show. We talked about bearded gospel men. He was in the show uh, before that because he wrote a book called "A Year of Living Prayerfully." Mm. Well, he has just finished a book and a documentary on the life of this man, Josiah Henson. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a former slave, mm. oh. possibly the man whose life inspired Harriet, Be- Harriet Beecher Stowe's oh. um, "Uncle Tom's Cabin." And they say, like I said, that that is the book that maybe even ignited the Civil War. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot to this story. This man is a real man, and nobody knows anything about him. Um, So we're going to be speaking to Jared Brock about him in our second half hour. Um, uh, Very much looking forward to having Jared on the program. He's always up to something really neat and exciting um, uh, about this, uh, about something. And now this time is about this man, Josiah Henson who uh, was in the States, of course, he he escaped to Canada. And that's mm-hmm. the connection with Canada. Um, and then the Underground Railroad and how he was instrumental with that. He freed over 100 slaves. Mm-hmm. Wow. He was invited to Windsor Castle and the, and the White House. I mean, he was like a, a very well-known man at the time. Right. And then nobody knows about him now. <laughs> so um, it's a good thing his story is going to be told. His story is yeah. being told, and we're going to hear about it in about 30, 25 or so minutes. Uh, and then after that, we're going to be meeting again a new singer-songwriter. There's so many talented young Catholic singer-songwriters that are doing great work. And uh, we're going to meet one of them today. Her name is Corey Marie. Um, you haven't heard of her, right? Nope. No, because she's fairly new in the scene. and she's feel extremely ignorant at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's okay because I'm sure most people have not heard about Corey Marie unless you're in Baltimore. Um, she's fairly new. She's just about to release her debut album. So she even doesn't even have an album yet. Um, but we're going to get to hear some of those songs right now for the first time ever in this program, for the first time ever on radio. Um, so Corey Marie, that's going to be in our second half hour at the end of the show. But let's start with a song. Um, here now is Corey Marie with Together Now from her debut album, The Hearth.
That was Corey Marie with Together Now from her debut album, The Hearth. And we're going to be speaking with Corey Marie in about half an hour. Standing in the wings is Jillian Cantor with What I Learned from My Kids. And in 12 or so minutes, a church for dummies with Billy Chan. But first, Emily is still here with our news. Yes, so I was saying that the Instrumentum Laboris, or the working document yes, for, for the, the Synod of Bishops, which is going to be held in October, next October 2018, was just released. And this is a document that you had a hand in, Emily. Yeah, yes. I know, it's pretty Isn't wild. Weird? It is, it is, it is weird. Um, and kind of incredible. <laughs> but, uh, so it was released. It was released on June 19th, Tuesday, June 19th. Mm-hmm. And uh, Cardinal Baldessari, Secretary General of the Synod of Bishops with three others, um, Monsignor Fabio Fabene, who is the undersecretary, as well as uh, Father Giacomo Costa and Don Rosano Sala, who uh-huh. are both uh, special secretaries to the 15th General Assembly 
of the Synod of Bishops. And so they presented the working document at the Holy See Press Office. And just to recall the the theme, this is on young people, the faith and vocational discernment. Um, And so this working document comes after almost two years, 18 months, two years of uh, of preparation. So there have been conferences and meetings with experts. And of course, as you mentioned, the pre-Synod of Youth, which was held last March, and and which, yes, I I had a hand in. Um, And actually, two-thirds of the final document of the pre-Synod of Youth is quoted or used in the Instrumentum Laboris. Yeah. And so that's what's pretty wild is to be able to read some of this, some parts of this document and see sentences that... Um, that you wrote? That we wrote. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and the bishops are going to be using this for their deliberations and their discussions in October, three weeks of discussions. And so, so the working document is divided into three parts. Uh-huh. Um, it talks, the first part is on, you know, listening to young people, understanding where they're at. The second part is about discernment, the vocational calling of each baptized persons. And then the last part is identifying paths forward. So how to do these things better? What are the action points that the bishops, which basically the bishops are going to have to decide once they're at the um, at the synod. Right. Um, and in the document, uh, we can quote, I'll just kind of quote one of the one of the sentences or one what the document, I guess, tries to do is to find help young pa- Catholics find the beauty of life, beginning from the happy relationship with God of the covenant and of love. Uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah. So the, the document was released in Italian and right. surely to be released in other languages yes, very absolutely. soon. Yes, absolutely. That's good. Um, you have news on the Australian nun. So the Australian nun, Sister Patricia Fox. That I was, quote, I, I, I will admit, I was the first one to say she should just go back to Australia. But then again. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? Right? Uh, seriously. Anyway. Um, so she had been working or has been working in the Philippines for 27 years. Yeah. And uh, she's 71 years old. She's the superior of the Sisters of Our Lady of Sion. And so she's been kind of at the center of this whole debacle um, yes. because she was accused early April or April of being involved in illegal political activity. Mm-hmm. She was arrested and detained after working at, um, after working there for 27 years on a special visa. And it was v- revoked. But then not long after that, the Justice Department couldn't find any reason really to to have it revoked. Uh-huh. Um, and so they only, you know, they said you can continue working until your visa expires yeah. this coming September. And there still is. So basically, she's not completely off the hook. Uh-huh. Um, there's still a possibility that she could face deportation. So that's kind of the, the new piece of news is yeah. that she could still be facing deportation um, once her, her visa expires. But she said that she would want to renew it um, before it expires. So we'll right. see if it's accepted so we'll or see. not. But she's still kind of in the middle of this. And so... Okay, Sister Patricia so Fox. I guess we're Australian getting more nun. updates at some point. She does yeah. not want to go back to Australia. No, oh, she feels very strongly. She's been there for 27 I years, know, Pedro. You know, I it's know, I know, I know it. And you know what? I don't want to make a, a connection, but there's, mm. maybe there is a connection with immigration and what's happening in the United States. Hmm. You know, about going back to your country or not going back or not being allowed to stay. Right, not having the freedom, yeah, right? To I know the connection was, and especially as a you know when you work for the church, there you know there are missionaries who are called to go to the fringes, to go to these countries, yeah, um, yeah. where where 
maybe human rights are not upheld yeah. and to, to serve yeah. the people there. So, But I guess my point is I, that a yeah. country has the right to decide who gets the yes, who doesn't I see if you're not you, a yeah. citizen. Yes. Uh, not to say that that anyway, but I know yeah, that your next news piece has is to about do with this. is about this. Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, essentially, so th- Pope Francis is supporting the USCCB, which is the U.S. Uh, Conference of Catholic Bishops. Yes. Um, their criticism on Trump's administration's um, immigration policy, zero tolerance immigration yes. policy. So he did an interview with Reuters that uh, he stands by the bishops in the U.S. and condemns the Trump basically condemning the Trump administration's decision to separate children from their parents at the border. Yes. Um, in the spring, in their spring meeting, the U.S. Uh, bishops met for a spring meeting at the beginning of June, and uh, they expressed their criticism of this zero-tolerance policy and said, families are the foundational element of our society, and they must be able to stay together while protecting our borders is important, they said. We can and must do better as a government and as a society to find ways to ensure that 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 they have, that they're safe. Mm-hmm. Um, separating families is immoral. Essentially, yes, is what they, they concluded. So Yes, well, there you go. I'm mm-hmm. sure we're going to hear lots more about that story as it develops. Thank you, Emily. Emily Callan, our Salt and Light Hour news producer. You can follow her at Emmy Callan. This is Carlson Cooley, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can find me on Facebook. Just look for Deacon Pedro, and you can also follow me on Twitter at Deacon Pedro GM. And now it's time for What I Learned From My Kids with Jillian Cantor. Jillian, welcome back to the program. Hello, thank you so much. Good to have you back. So what have you learned from your kids this month? All right, well, from all five of them at various times. Yes. I've heard quite a few excuses about a number of things. (laughs) So that's the lesson we're learning. This month is making no excuses? excuses. Oh, no more excuses. No, no, no. I'm not teaching people how to make excuses. <laughs> how to come up with good excuses. <laughs> no more excuses. Okay. And probably the, I don't know, is it funny? Is it cute? Is it shocking that the two-year-old has already started making excuses? Oh, no, that's horrible. She's probably the slowest eater in the entire world. Uh-huh. And so she'll just be sitting there staring off into space, and you can clearly see that she's not eating anything. So yeah. I put the food on the fork, and I hold it up to her mouth, and she looks at me kind of like she's surprised that I'm trying to feed her, and she says, I'm chewing. She's not <laughs> chewing. There's nothing in your mouth. <laughs> what are you chewing? She just doesn't want to eat. She's being lazy. So she tells us that she's chewing. She's starting to make excuses. Uh-huh. And so as we're... I'm like, no, you're not. Please eat. What do you think I am? A nincompoop. I can see that you're not doing. But the story still relates to me because when it comes to prayer time, I sit there pretending I'm chewing quite a bit. I'm actually not doing anything. I tell myself, I'm just so busy. The days are so busy. I don't know where I'll put prayer time in. Morning time, I'm too tired. Nighttime, I'm too tired. Middle of the day, if there's any sort of problems with nap times or it's a PA day and the other kids are home, well, then that's not going to happen. But as I am thinking all these things, I'm scrolling through Facebook or looking at Instagram photos of people I do not know. (laughs) So I'm just sitting there pretending that I'm chewing, and those are my excuses. So... That was a really quick lesson. No more excuses. <laughs> Stop making excuses. Um, but it's something that I I tell the kids, and I've probably, I might have mentioned it before in one of um, our discussions, 
is that something that I'm trying to impress upon them is that our weakness is not our excuse, but it's our motivation. Yeah. So uh, whatever it is that we feel like we're not very good at or, you know, that's just our character trait, we can't just say, meh, that's how I'm made. This is my excuse. I can't do anything about it. Um, but instead we have to use that as our motivating factor to get it to change mm-hmm. something about ourselves um, so that we can try harder, do better, give more of an effort, any of the above, any of the above. Yeah. Um, so when I look at what I think is my really busy schedule um, and my maybe my disorganization <laughs> in my day, I can't look at that weakness and just think, meh, that's the way it is, but mm-hmm. that I actually have to try, I have to put some effort into that. Yes. Um, and just, yeah, reorder some things and figure things out and not just sit there staring at Facebook because that's... Yeah. A whole other problem. So no more excuses. Yeah, no more excuses. I love that. I love that. You're just reminding me that someone not a month ago said to me, my resp- he asked me to do something and my response was, I don't have any time. And he said, you do have time. You just have different priorities. Yeah. And it's okay. exactly what you're saying. That That's great. Um, mm-hmm. That's great. No more excuses. And, and I know you're not chewing. So there. <laughs> you're not chewing. Yeah, and if you are chewing, you've been chewing for way too long. Swallow. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just leave you with this little nugget from Clara, who was listening in on a conversation. I didn't even realize it. I was telling the boys a reason for why I was doing a particular thing, and I feel like I had explained it too many times. And Uh so when they asked me yet again, I just said to them, because. And she was sitting over in the corner, coloring away, and all of a sudden I heard a little voice squeak out, because isn't that a reason? (laughs) Where did you hear that? And yeah, so it's, it's not a reason. That's not an excuse. You have to yeah. come up with something better than that. That's great. So there, that's from Clara. Because mm-hmm. is not a reason. Because is not a reason. Thank you, Clara, and all your children and uh, for teaching us this very valuable lesson um, that we all, uh, that we all needed to hear. Thank you. All right, Jillian. Get on with it. Get no on with it. Great. And I know you're looking forward to a summer with your children at home. So I am, yes. That's great. Uh, enjoy that. And Thanks. we will see you, talk to you in the fall. Okay. Keep in touch. Yes, we will for sure. Jillian Cantor is the producer of the Salt and Light TV program, Mothering Full of Grace, and of also the new documentary, A Woman's Voice. And she is the wife of David and the mother of Joseph, Henry, Annie, Clara and Jane. Hi, I'm Janelle, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can listen to any portion of this program and all our programs at our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And now it's time for... Church for Dummies. With Billy Chan. Billy, you have a question, a very important question. Very important question. You know, 2018, the... One of the most important events is the World Cup. The World Cup, yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Know, everyone watching it, you know, for all the country. And I watch most of the games, actually. Good. I, I'm a really good. good. You're cheering for Panama. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's no China, though, so, you know. You, know. you have to cheer for Panama. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, uh, you know, when I watch the World Cup, uh, there are lots of people. I think there's a lot of Christian or Catholics, you know, watch, sure, uh, yeah. as a player as well, yes. right? So you know when they, when whenever they do a penalty, yes. oh, when, whenever they right. they finish the game or before the game, they also do 
some of them also yes. do the sign of the cross. Right. Yes. So, but they are all doing differently. Oh, okay. Uh, uh-huh. So you know, you no, know, it actually triggered the question. Yes. Uh, uh, how should we do it? Like a perfect. Okay. Sign of the cross. How to make a perfect sign of the cross? Yeah. Um, well, it, it depends. If you're seeing players that are doing it differently. Yeah. It could be that they just don't know what they're doing and they're doing it <laughs> wrong, or it could be that they're Orthodox Christians oh, okay. or from the Eastern Rites churches, and they actually would. I was going to say they do it backwards, but it's not that they do it backwards. So the way we make the sign of the cross yeah. is you hand to your forehead, yeah. then down to your heart, then over to your left shoulder, yeah. and then to the right shoulder. Okay. Okay. In the Eastern churches, in the Orthodox Church, they do their right shoulder first. Oh. So they do. So it's backwards. Um, that's I don't know. I actually don't know the history about that. Maybe one or if any of our listeners know why where where that tradition comes from. Um, but but that is a distinct difference. So if you ever see somebody doing the sign of the cross and it looks like they're doing it wrong, <laughs> it, th- th- it's probably because they're from the Eastern Rites churches. And why do we do this? Um, um, well, as, th- as there's probably no. There's probably a lot of reasons. I uh-huh. mean, uh, the 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 reason that I like the most is because I'm a very physical person, and I love the physical. fact that that we that it's a very physical thing. So you can make the sign of the cross, and it's a physical prayer. I don't have to say anything. Oh, you don't not have to say anything. But when you make the sign of the cross, you're actually it's it's like the creed in two seconds. You've oh. done it because you've 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 remembered God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You're also remembering the sacrifice of Christ on the cross because you're making the sign of the cross. But be, also, it, you're remembering the Trinity, God as Trinity, right? And Trinity, what is Trinity? Is love. So it's really the sign of the cross is the sign of love because the Trinity is a dance of love. But the sacrifice of Christ on the cross is also a sacrifice because of love. So you're also being reminded of your baptismal promises because uh-huh. we're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So every time you make the sign of the cross, it's all those things. Uh-huh. Now, most of, the, most of the time, we're not thinking about all those things. Um, <laughs> but, but it is a way to, to pray, um, if I can say that, to pray without even saying any words. So basically, the sign of the cross is a prayer. You it know, it's prayer. not a starting of a prayer. It's no. not the conclusion of a prayer. No. It is a prayer. I would say that it is a prayer and it's a reminder. When Jesus says, do this in memory of me, uh-huh. you know, it's like we need to, reminders. So okay. it's a physical reminder of all those things that I just mentioned. Okay, now, is that, you know, is it mandatory to do it before or after a prayer? I don't know if it's mandatory. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, again, it's like we, we sign ourselves with the cross, with the sign of love. As a as a maybe putting yourself in the presence, so I think mm. it's a good way to begin. Mm-hmm. I, I remember growing up, my mother would you know we always make the sign of the cross yeah. when you drive past a cemetery <laughs> or when you drive past a church or when you're you know get in the car and you're about to go on a, on a ride, you just make the sign of the cross. The same way that the players they do maybe they do it a little superstitiously every time they're gonna you know play a, a soccer game or or, sh- <laughs> or shoot a penalty. So that's superstition, but it's because we've been taught that you make this little prayer. Uh-huh. Without even saying words, I see. Yeah. I see. So some of the priests even doing it after the homily, and um, some of the priests will do it as yeah. a homily because we've been taught that that's a good way to end oh, a prayer. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, but I don't think it, there's anything written anywhere that says that you have to start a prayer. I mean, all our Protestant brothers and sisters, they they, they don't, don't make do, the sign yeah. of the cross, mm-hmm. and their prayers are just as as valid. Yeah, of course. I would say. Of course. Does that answer your question, Billy? Very good. Thank you you very much. So for our listeners, if anybody knows where the real history of why that came from, you know, early Christians, when they started making the sign of the cross, let us know because 
because um, I don't know and, and Billy wants to know. I really so want to know. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. The sign of the cross. Billy Chan, our resident uh, dummy. Uh, he doesn't like it when I say that. But he's also our webmaster here at saltandlighttv.org. You can follow him and send him questions and answers at via Twitter at Chan. Coming up in our second half hour, a former slave and the story that sparked the Civil War. And we meet singer and songwriter Corey Marie, so stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. He rescued over a hundred slaves. He was a guest of Queen Victoria at Windsor Castle. He was a guest at the White House. He was one of the inspirations for Harriet Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin, the novel that they say supposedly sparked the U.S. Civil War. Yet, I bet you've never heard of him. His name is Josiah Henson. And thanks to author and filmmaker Jared Brock, there's a book and a documentary now that are making his story better known around the world. And to tell us more about this man's extraordinary life, I'm now joined by Jared Brock. Jared, welcome back to the Sultan Light Hour. Thanks for having me on again, Dr. Pedro. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, was, I was just telling, I'll tell our, our, our listeners, I was just telling Jared that I, I'm so inspired by how busy you are, but it's great because you keep coming back on those, keep busy and we'll keep, keep bringing you back to the Salt and Light Hour to talk about <laughs> what you're doing. Um, so I, I do want to get to how you came across Josiah Henson, but first, so he was, he was a slave for 40 years, right? Yeah, Josiah was born and raised about a dozen miles from Washington, D.C., and he was enslaved by this family called the Riley family. Right. They were uh, good Baptists, and um, mm, yeah. Yeah, they were they were very cruel to him. Right, so he was born into slavery. Yeah. So how did he gain his freedom? Well, um, at one point, so he becomes a, a Christian minister when he grows up, and he uh, he starts preaching to raise money for his freedom, and he actually raises 75%, and he gives them a down payment, and um, they end up adding a zero to what he owes, and so he's never going to be able to pay it off, and mm -hmm. so they try to sell him south to New Orleans, and so he ends up escaping with his wife and four children, okay. and they walk 600 miles to freedom in Canada. Right, okay, good. So so that's, I'm sure you tell a, a, a lot of that journey, if not all of it, in, in the book yes. and in the documentary. It's a fascinating story. Um, Maybe you can give us a little bit of the highlights. So uh, he, he crosses with his family into Canada. How does he get involved with, or how does he end up helping with the Underground Railroad? Well, you got to remember when Josiah escapes. He, he runs away in 1830. So this is prior to the Underground Railroad really even being developed. So uh -huh. he is an early conductor as the railroad gets <laughs> going. So yeah. He rescues 118 people. And uh, I'm currently on a 10,000-mile book tour, and I actually had a a very guilty looking man come up to me at a screening in Kentucky a couple weeks ago. And he said, uh, my family used to enslave a family, uh, the Lightfoot family that Josiah helped to escape to freedom. Wow. So history is so much closer than I think we realized. That's amazing. That. So would he have, would he have helped a lot of those slaves, uh, escape while he also was escaping or did he arrive into Canada and then kind of 
was part of that initiate initi- help helping initiate that underground railroad. So he once he gets the freedom and really gets his family settled in, then he starts making trips right. back. So yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, I, I can't help but think about all the migrants that are trying to get into the United States right now. And then this, a lot of people would have been doing this. The slaves would have been doing the same thing, trying so to get I'm out of the States. I'm actually Canadian. Yes. So the joke up in Canada right now is that we're going to build a wall and make America pay for it. Yes. And then we're going to build a tunnel to Mexico so everyone can come straight <laughs> north to us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The Underground Railroad comes back. Um, so um, the the... The Road to Dawn, where does the title of the book come from? So Josiah is actually part of starting a Freeman settlement uh-huh. in Ontario called Dawn, D-A-W-N. Okay. Yes. And it's it's this area, it's this vision, this idea of freedom, of a new beginning, of a fresh start. And that Freeman settlement grows to over 500 people. Wow. So it's quite the, uh, it's quite the happening place and it becomes very well known and he has supporters all over the world, um, he, you mm-hmm. know, one of his supporters for over 20 years is Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, the famous poet. So oh, wow. It's a, it's a well-known place at the time. So, I mean, it sounds like, obviously, I can, I can assume that he's accomplished a lot. Maybe people in various places were hearing about him. How did he end up being a guest at the White House and at Windsor Castle? Well, so he, how he ends up at the White House, um, he gets a tour um, with Rutherford B. Hayes. Um, mm-hmm. Josiah is friends with Frederick Douglass. Mm-hmm. The great abolitionist, and so okay. Douglas actually facilitates the introduction. Um, I found a, a really funny letter from a minister to Frederick Douglass, and he says, "Well, now that we know that our old friend Henson is the real Uncle Tom, <laughs> I wonder if Harriet Beecher Stowe's publisher will cough up any money for the life rights to his story." <laughs> right, right. <laughs> of course, that never happened. Right, and 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 is it a similar story that he ends up in with Queen Victoria and Windsor Castle? Uh, so how he ends up meeting uh, Queen Victoria is, you know, so so Uncle Tom's Cabin comes out. It's a massive success. It's the number one selling book of the century. Yeah. Um, you know, 1.3 million copies its first year in print. And the South just says that Stowe is a liar. Okay. And so she publishes a second book called The Key to Uncle Tom's Cabin, uh-huh. where she just names names and sources. And she mentions Josiah eight times in that book. Hmm. And so he becomes world famous. And so... Queen Victoria wants to meet him. I've actually read her diary entries. Really? Um, she talks about reading the memoir and then inviting him to Windsor Castle. And she actually pulls out her whole family to meet him because she's amazing. so excited to meet the real Uncle Tom. That's amazing. So how did you how did you come across Josiah Henson? Well, my wife had been wanting to read Uncle Tom's Cabin for a long time. Mm-hmm. I was in a bookstore in Florida in 2014, mm-hmm. and I saw a copy on the shelf. So I bought it and I put it in her stocking. Yeah. And she read it, was really moved by it, and... As you know, I'm a curious guy. This yeah. is my fourth documentary and third book. And yeah. so I did a little bit more research, and there was a throwaway comment somewhere that it was based on a real man. I went, hold on, hold on, hold on. I've never heard this story before. Yeah. So I did a little bit more research, and I learned that Josiah lived less than two hours from my own house. Wow. And I'd never heard about him in school or history or mm-hmm. anything. So next thing you know, I ended up traveling 3,000 miles to retrace his journey from slavery to freedom. That's amazing. And now there's a book, his biography, The Road to Dawn, and also a documentary narrated by Danny Glover. Um, Why both? Why not just write a book or just do a documentary? Well, I mean, this is, we live in a very visual era, and um, we just want to be able to really help people, um, like, see the story as well as hear it Mm -hmm. and read it. Um, 
I don't think this is the end of the project for me either. We're currently working on a kids book version of it. Oh, nice. And eventually I want to shoot a feature film version nice. of it as well. I want as many people to know Josiah's story because I, I'd love to see him get restored to the abolitionist pantheon alongside Harriet Tubman and Solomon yes. North of Frederick Douglass. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, maybe we can end with you've you've probably are learning a lot. But what would you say is the one main thing that you've learned or that we can all learn from uh, Josiah mm-hmm. Henson's life? When Josiah gets to the Niagara River, there's a kind Scottish man that offers to pay to send his family across. But he asks Josiah a question first. He says, are you going to be a good man? And Josiah replies, I will use my freedom well. Hmm. And history shows that he did that. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that says, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Mm-hmm. We weren't just free to just live a comfortable American dream lifestyle. We have to steward our influence and our affluence on behalf of others. And so that's the question that's really been rattling around in my head is, wow. am I using my time, talent, and treasure? Am I using my freedom well on behalf of those with less? So that's really the big lesson of Josiah's life. It's all about stewardship. Hmm. Uh, again, I can't, uh, but help but think about what's happening in this U.S. Mexico border to use our freedom well. That's that's a great lesson. Thank you, uh, Jared, for bringing a little bit of this. I hope it's it's piqued everybody's interest. It, it certainly did mine when you told me about it. So uh, 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 good luck with the rest of the tour and uh, looking forward to the feature film. <laughs> that that's, yeah, that would be awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Jared Brock is the author of a few books, A Year of Living Prayerfully, Bearded Gospel Men, and he's also the director of Over 18 and Red Light, Green Light. His latest book is The Road to Dawn, and the latest documentary is Josiah, based on the life of Josiah Henson. You can find out more about the documentary and the book at josiahhenson.com. Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, Corey Marie, with Joy Riding from her debut album, The Hearth. Old houses 
That was Corey Marie with Joy Riding from her debut album, The Hearth. Corey Marie has been writing music s- since she was like 12 years old. For the last three years, she has been leading worship at her parish in Maryland and has been traveling to retreats and conferences to speak and lead worship. For the last two years, she has sung for the National Christ Life Conference and she opened for Abbey Fest in 2017. Since 2016, she's been pursuing a career in music full-time and has just recorded her debut album, The Hearth, which we've been listening to. And to tell us more, I'm now joined by Corey Marie. Corey, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you for having me. It's so good to, to, to meet you and to have you on the program. So um, what, was, what was it like growing up? Well, um, I grew up in a very... Large family, uh, mostly consider it large. I'm one of seven children. Yeah, that's large. <laughs> and and it was fun. It, is, it still is fun. Um, we've definitely grown into our personalities over the years. Right. And, you know, just how to connect with lots of different personalities. Are you, um, sorry, are you, are you in the middle, the youngest, the oldest? I'm number five. Okay, so. of, of seven. 
Yes. Yes. Five of seven. Um, there are three girls and four boys. Okay. And, and we were all actually really sports-oriented family, mostly. Uh-huh. Um, my dad coached soccer, so I grew up on the soccer field. Right. That's great. Yeah. That's great. So, so was it was it also a musical household? Somewhat. My mother, um, she sang, and she actually... She sang on her own and with a friend, and they actually called themselves Eminem for a little bit until they <laughs> heard there was another Eminem. Right. Um, and then she also sang a little bit, doing the same thing that I do now, uh-huh. which um, she was singing at, at Steubenville Conferences with Crossroads. Okay. So wow. She, yeah, so she sang. Um, but for the most part, none of us kids, she taught piano lessons to the, the oldest. Uh-huh. Um, but as soon as she got more kids, it was harder for her to do. <laughs> So it, I don't think that many of us played or many of us played together. No. Um, but she played piano, obviously. Did she play at home? She did. Yeah. And a lot of Carol King and James Taylor played right, in our household. Right, right, right. Um, and, and you, uh, I, mean, I, I, uh, I know that you were writing music from age 12. Were you singing? Were you already playing uh, guitar? I was writing and singing and then learning guitar at that time. Okay. I had an instructor at my school, so we had electives um, in, uh-huh. my, in my middle school. Yeah. So that's where I started to learn. Okay. Um, were you singing in church? No, actually. Um, really? Well, yeah? I wasn't singing in church. I never, I never sang in the choir. Um, I actually started, my, my school was a non-denominational Okay. Uh, or a really interdenominational Christian school. Uh-huh. So a lot of Catholics, but also a lot of non-Catholics. And we had Thursday mornings, every every Thursday in school, we had chapel where there was a lot of praise and worship music okay. and praying with each other. And that's really where I learned um, how uh-huh. to lead worship and to sing. Uh-huh. But it was really localized to my school when I was in middle school. Okay. Was it, was growing up, were, were you growing up in a fairly... Catholic sort of household, like mass every Sunday and that kind of thing, or I mean, the very fact that you were going to a that you were not going to a Catholic school. Um, um, yeah, well, we sorry, I cut you off a little, but no, go ahead. We were very Catholic, um, and my dad is a, a religion teacher, still is okay. at a Catholic yeah. high school, but they were a part of uh, a kind of covenant community at the time. Uh-huh. called Lamb of God, and that's really where that community was hmm. where I went to school, and a lot of my peers were non-Catholics. But we went to Catholic Church every Sunday, and I went through um, CCD and, and the sacraments. So right. it was it was an interesting upbringing, but in a very good way. Uh-huh. So. Now, so uh, did you go through a period growing up where you were, you know, not really into your faith or, or not into church? I wouldn't say in a way in which, you know, some people might step away completely. I think at times I was lukewarm in my faith, Uh and I struggled with kind of uh, one foot in, one foot out, and Uh that was more in college. I definitely had, like, I was trying to go out on my own and figure things out, Um, but I don't, I never really strayed too far. I had moments where I would, like, I would kind of go that way and then be like, you know what? It's kind of better where I was, and, right. and I would dive back in. Yeah. Uh, so never really completely turning away, but definitely having ebbs and flows in my faith in terms yeah. of strength. 
which is right. still continues today because yeah, it's always drawing me in. <laughs> yeah, you and everybody else. What what yep. what sort of changed for you then two or three years ago that you decided to try to do this worship music thing full time? So I, after college, well, at the at tail end of my college years, I was participating in a young adult group mm-hmm. that I'd been invited into um, primarily because I... I did play guitar and I sang and and the leader knew that. So he was kind of drawing me in and I didn't know it at the time, but I really entered in because of, of the singing and the music. And I was able to Mm -hmm. um, connect deeper because of that. So he um, invited me in and there were many times during where they would ask me to sing. And I, I still was at college this last year of college. And I would notice that everything in the book would come up the day that they had asked me to sing, and I would notice, like, my throat would close up or just right. various things. And, and one day I, I showed up anyway because I had been falling into maybe not doing it and just, like, using that as an excuse. Uh-huh. And I showed up one day and asked for prayer, and I, I didn't have that problem anymore after praying. Hmm. Um, so God kind of, like, he kept putting that on my heart. I started working in my field, which is exercise science. Yeah. And during that time... I just felt more and more um, a call. I think it was after a retreat with the same group. I went on this retreat, and I came home, and I just felt like I was sitting in my parish, and I was listening to the music at my church, and I felt called to just go talk to them Uh and just ask, like, hey, is there a way that I can get connected? Because up until this point, I had never really connected to my parish Mm -hmm. through music. Hmm. and yeah. so I started doing that for a few months, and and what really happened was just this desire grew yeah. more and more to just be involved, and and I would notice that people would ask me to right. sing for them or to do yeah. conferences, but I wouldn't have the time because of my, my job. Mm-hmm. Um, and so through prayer and through a lot of different things that I wish I could even go into more detail, but yeah. um, a lot of different ways that God just kept putting it on my heart. So I went to my boss and I told him, like, I think I'm supposed to lead music more and to go and into ministry more. And he actually, oddly enough, had seen that start to grow in me. And he, he's not a believer. He's, he's not a practicing Christian. But he could just see that the more I sang, the more yeah. alive I became. So yeah. they kind of just that's uh, great. encouraged yeah. me in that yeah, when I said that. That's usually the best kind of confirmation. So what, just because we're, we don't have a lot of time, so at what point did you decide, look, I have so many songs, I think I should record an album. Um, how did that work? Um, that was probably about a year ago, maybe even before, maybe last January. Uh-huh. I just, I knew I needed to take action in the album. Be- a lot of it, honestly, because people would ask me, do you have any music that I can listen to? You know, and a lot of it was for people to hire me. Right. Just, you know, right. They were like, they would come out after yeah. church or something. So I just thought I need to put something together. Uh-huh. I have a lot of songs I've written over four years. So uh-huh. we'll just, we'll see where this goes. Yeah. I mean, how did you settle on the title? The hearth, the hearth. That came later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that came at, um, just because we wanted to preserve in the sound of the album um, a realness and a rawness and creating an intimate space. I think the intimate space yeah. is really where 
yes. that name came out of. Just yeah. the people listen and they can feel like I'm in their home. Yeah, yeah, there is something very homey about it. And I think that that's, I mean, learning your story, that I think there's something very much about home and family that's important for you. Um, mm-hmm. And and that comes through a little bit in your music. I, I really, really enjoy what I've heard, and I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more. So the album, The Hearth, drops on August 17th. Um, people can get, you said that they can get, you, you're still taking pledges, pledgemusic.com. If people look up Corey Marie, Corey Marie at pledgemusic.com, they can, they can maybe even get a free, a free signed copy of the, of the album, of the CD. People still get CDs. Um, and, uh, and, and maybe they can get that, you said a week before August 10th or so, right? Yeah. Um, if they do that. So, um, but people should go to your website, Corey Marie Music as well. Uh, so they can mm-hmm. get more information on that. That's all the time we have, Corey. But uh, thank you so much. This has been super cool. I'm I'm looking forward to listening to the whole album. I'm going to go and put in my own pledge, and uh, and uh, and hopefully there's more more music to come in the future so we can uh, get you back on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been great. I love the music and I love love meeting you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. As I said, Corey Marie's album, The Hearth, drops on August 17th. Um, just go to pledgemusic.com slash Corey Marie, and you can uh, find out how you can get your own signed copy of that. Uh, you can also uh, learn more about Corey Marie, learn more about the album, book her for your next event at her website, CoreyMarieMusic.com. And here now is Corey Marie with The Potter's Hand from her debut album, The Hearth. Let him work. 
We're listening to Corey Marie with The Potter's Hand from her new album, The Hearth. You can find out more about Corey Marie and all our guests at our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And that's also where you can listen to all these interviews again if you missed any part of the show or also to listen to all our Salt and Light Hour programs at any time. And to make it really easy, the Salt and Light Hour is also available as a free podcast off iTunes. Just search for it on your iTunes store. And it's actually also available off your Google Play store, so you can do the same there. Remember to reach out to us at Salt and Light TV. Also, I'm at Deacon Pedro GM. And I'm at Emmy Callan, and Billy is at Bijo Chan. Thank you for being with us. I'm Emily Callan. And I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the, the Salt and Light, Light Hour. Hour.